Hi readers, and welcome to episode 8 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host, Ang Harrod, and today we're going to be talking about book clubs. We have a special guest on the show to give, give us some insight about what it takes to run a successful book club. But first, book updates. In episode 5, I talked about an incredible opportunity that had come up with the National Library of Australia, the Embassy of Spain, and an organisation called MMM. This opportunity was to be paid $1,500 to read, quietly, to yourself, the great Spanish classic Don Quixote in celebration of the 400-year anniversary of the author Miguel de Cervantes' death. Of course I submitted an application, even though I work full-time and have no time at all whatsoever to do this, but in October I finally got the result. The email reads as follows. Dear Applicant, Thank you very much for your interest in Money to Read and El Quixote. We carefully reviewed all 154 applications and who would be invited to the final interview round was a tough decision to make. All the applications showed a genuine interest in the book and the project and we loved the variety of reasons and profiles of the applicants. Unfortunately, we can only choose one reader and although you have not been chosen, we still encourage you wholeheartedly to read this literary masterpiece and even to come and meet the winner at the National Library. Thank you for your application and your interest in Spanish literature. Kind regards from the Embassy of Spain in Canberra. The winner was announced on the Spanish Embassy's website, and the reader, Moira Christie, will read the novel in silence until either the 12th or the 19th of November. The next update was to do with the Roald Dahl Readathon that I took part in during the month of September and talked about in episode 7. Although I didn't win tickets to go see Matilda, I did get a whiz-banging certificate, and you can have a look at it for yourself in the show notes. We've also had a huge update from the Future Library Project, which is the project I've talked about previously, where from 2014, an author is selected every year to write a manuscript that is then locked in a vault in a forest in Norway, which won't be opened until 2114. The first two authors were Margaret Atwood for 2014 and David Mitchell for 2015, and the 2016 author has just been announced, Icelandic writer Sion. The book handover will take place next year and will be yet another book I never get to read. As always, there was a stack of book news this month. I'll start out with the awards. The winner of the Man Booker Prize for 2016 was announced and the winner was Paul Beattie for his satirical novel on race politics called The Sellout. Beattie is the first American to ever win the prestigious award. However, much more controversial was the 2016 Nobel Prize for Literature, which was awarded to Bob Dylan for having created new poetic expressions within the great American song tradition. When I first heard that he'd won, I was a bit confused because I couldn't recall any novels he'd written, and it was only later I realised that he'd basically won the award for his song lyrics. There was quite a bit of disagreement over this choice and whether songs actually qualify as literature. Then there was more of a storm when Dylan didn't make any public response to the accolade. Eventually, he did respond and say that he was honoured and that he would, in fact, accept the award. Another big controversy has been to do with the identity of Italian writer Elena Ferrante, the author of My Brilliant Friend. 
It's been known for a while that the name is a pseudonym, and the author's real identity is a closely guarded secret. However, an investigative journalist believes he's uncovered the real woman behind the books, and he went public with his findings. What happened next was a huge social media outpouring about whether or not the journalist had the right to expose Ferrante's identity, which still hasn't been confirmed, and whether writers should have the right to hide their identity. Just about every month, there seems to be a new story about someone's civil liberties being trampled on in the name of books, and this month was no different. Golrok Ebrahimi Irai, an Iranian writer and activist, has been sentenced to six years in jail for a story she wrote about stoning to death. The story wasn't even published, and it was discovered when authorities ransacked Irai's house in 2014. It also wouldn't be book news without a book crime story. In the UK, a man has been accused of stabbing an antiques dealer to death in April this year so that he could steal a rare first edition of a children's classic, Wind in the Willows, which is worth an estimated $64,000. Prosecutors are arguing that the man plotted the crime for months beforehand. And speaking of Wind in the Willows, a brand new edition illustrated by David Peterson, the graphic novelist behind the wonderful series Mouse Guide, is actually being released this month. A much more surprising children's book release this month is um, the book Charlie the Choo Choo, a picture book by Beryl Evans, which is actually the pseudonym of famous horror story Stephen King. And I have to say, looking at the cover art, it does look a bit creepy. In other big release news, a romance story called The Tale of Baron and Luthien by J.R.R. Tolkien and set in his world Middle-earth is being published for the first time as a standalone book next year. Like other stories by Tolkien published posthumously, this one is edited by his son Christopher Tolkien. I had a look at the cover art and there is an elf lady sitting on a giant dog, so suffice to say, I am sold. However, one of the biggest stories of the month was that for the first time, playwright Christopher Kit Marlowe has been credited as co-author for three of William Shakespeare's plays. Academics have suspected that Marlowe has in some way or another been involved in at least some of Shakespeare's plays, and some have even theorized that Shakespeare was Kit Marlowe. However, using a combination of old-fashioned study and modern computer techniques, Oxford academics have been able to conclusively credit three Henry VI plays to have been co-written by Marlowe. And it definitely wouldn't be book news without a Harry Potter story. And unbelievably, J.K. Rowling has announced that there are going to be five Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them films. I thought it was going to be a trilogy, and five movies seems a little excessive to me, but the first movie in the series is being released in November, and I am nevertheless dying to go see it. In other movie adaptation news, fantasy heavyweight Brandon Sanderson has sold the rights to his Cosmere universe, and a film adaptation has already been fast-tracked to his incredibly amazing fantasy epic novel The Way of Kings which I have only recently found out is going to be one of 10 novels, which also sounds a little excessive to me, but I will also read all of them. Back in Australia, the trailer has been released for the adaptation of Craig Sylvie's novel, novel Jasper Jones, and it looks pretty good. Um, this book I read uh, last year, and it's about a, um, a set in a young town, and it's sort of like an Australian Aboriginal version of To Kill a Mockingbird. And uh, the movie is going to be in cinemas in March 2017. Even more locally, um, 
The author Tim Winton came to speak at Muse Bookshop here in Canberra last month about his new memoir, The Boy Behind the Curtain. Winton was not actually at all like what I had expected. He was really humble. He spoke very eloquently, particularly about issues like toxic masculinity and intergenerational divides. I live blogged the talk on the Tinted Edges Facebook page if you wanted to check it out. And finally, also in local Canberra news, the wonderful boutique bookshop Book Passion has changed owners. Sue, the fabulous previous owner, had a little celebration to hand over the store to new owner Leisha, and it was a wonderful day with all my favorite things, books, champagne, and cheese. And if you want to find out more about any of these stories, check out the links in the show notes. This month's book theme is book clubs, and as per usual, I went a little overboard doing research and decided to try and participate in as many book clubs as possible. The first book club I went along to is the second smallest book club I've ever been part of, and it was wildly successful. There were only three of us, and we made the book club specifically to discuss books by one of my favorite authors, Juliette Marilia, Um, particularly because her newest book just got released. And even though this book club was very small, it was a huge success because we were all really invested in talking about the author. Everybody brought some really interesting perspectives about broader social issues and everyone was really, really on topic and really keen. The next one was quite a different kind of book club run by local Canberra publication Feminazi. Feminazi, so that's Femin and then Artsy, like A-R-T-S-Y, selected the book and then a panel of three speakers discussed it um, amongst each other before opening to the audience for questions and input. The turnout was actually really high with maybe about 30 people and I thought it was a good mix of structure and free flow but with a really high degree of focus on the actual book and there was a lot of live blogging on social media which meant that the author herself was able to engage with the book club as well. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to future ones. The third book club is one that a group of colleagues of mine have started and uh, we had our second meeting and this time discussed a French book called The Elegance of the Hedgehog. About eight or so people came along to this one and discussion in, in this book club always seems to start out strong but often peters out as people talk more about you know social things and politics and other topics. And uh, I have to say one of the problems we've been having with this particular book club is getting everybody to actually finish the book and in actually surprisingly in a lot of cases to even start the book so hopefully we'll have better luck with the next book and we pick, and we pick one that's a little bit more engaging and people are a little bit more dedicated and then the next book club is one that I've been running myself for a little while and it's an online book club I have on Facebook the members are invite only and every month or so I do a poll to select the next book and then people can comment on the book if and when they read it with all their thoughts Although there are quite a few members, not everybody is super active, but every book we read gets some really good discussion. One of the rules I have is no spoilers in the first post, but then there's free for all in the comments. So nobody, if, if somebody hasn't gotten around to reading the book yet, then nothing's spoiled for them. Um, I've been running this one for a few months and we've had some really great books and some really great discussion. And although it can be a little bit impersonal because obviously it's all online, it is amazingly convenient and people can read and discuss the books completely at their own pace. And then the last book club in my little book club adventure this month was the Asia Book Room Book Club. And instead of me giving you a rundown, we've actually got the owner of the bookshop to tell us all about it.
Today we are here with Sally, who owns the fabulous Canberra bookshop, The Asia Book Room. Good morning, Sally, and thanks so much for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about The Asia Book Room? Sure, yeah. Um, where do I start? Okay, um, well, Asia Book Room has morphed from um, previous existing business originally called Weekend Gallery Books, which opened in the late 1960s. That was started by my mother and, uh, and father, but mainly my mother worked in it. And as you'll guess by the name, Weekend Gallery Books, they were open at the weekend and ran from a converted flat underneath a house in Hughes. And um, they dealt in general, second-hand, some antiquarian, and um, particularly at the beginning, pr antique prints and maps. In fact, that's really where they started. And then one thing led to another. Oh, wow. And a lot of prints and maps come from books, and they got into books that way. They had uh, lived in Asia a lot in the 1940s and 50s, and were always interested in Asia. And um, at one, day, my father was always going out, sort of buying things, and Mum was at the running the the weekend gallery. And one Saturday afternoon, he turned back up in their backyard, and we had a big Holden station wagon. And the the Mum knew he'd been out at some auction. You know, they were always deeply interested in these things. And he'd been to an auction um, in Red Hill, a house auction, and. Um, should we just ignore that? Or, um, uh, he'd been to a house auction in Red Hill and uh, he had come back with this huge lot of books. And they were the books from a, a guy who had been teaching Chinese history at the ANU and uh, had died. Mm -hmm. And um, so nobody had put their hand up. You know, this was, these were early days in China, in, uh, yeah. in Canberra. Nobody put their hand up for these books. And um, he ended up buying them all. And I, I don't know, I mean, the price would be irrelevant now anyway, but I know it wasn't a lot. And um, he got two big um, carloads of these books. Oh my goodness. And um, so, as I said, they'd always been interested in Asia. Actually, China was a place neither of them ever went, but they were mainly South Asia and Southeast Asia. But that's kind of got them started on the Asia focus to the business. And uh, so for years, the business was a general second-hand and antiquarian, lots of Australiana and, you know, books on trains and all the sort of things that you find in a general bookshop. And um, with, but with a large specialisation in Asia, when the internet came along into the general public world in the mid 1990s, um, we were able to free our, start freeing ourselves of the general second hand. And uh, because we got a website in 1995, which is quite early then, mm, yeah. in June 1995, we put up a website. And um, by the early 2000s, we were able to change from. Our bookshop name at that point was the old book room. I'm jumping quite a lot of history in here because I'm <laughs> sure your readers or your listeners want to get on with their lives after this, <laughs> not have me completely take it over. Um, but uh, uh, so we changed to Asia Book Room and uh, got rid of all our non Asian materials, sold a lot of it to um, other dealers around Canberra. And um, now we have just books on Asia, new and print antiquarian, a lot of ephemera, and we also carry Pacific and a limited amount of material on the Middle East as well, which is sometimes known as West Asia, so oh. it's sort of part of that world. Brilliant. So for, for our listeners, um, the Asia Book Room currently is located in an absolutely beautiful space in Macquarie, and you walk in here and it's just beautiful. There's 
red walls, all different sections of all different parts of Asia. There's children's section, fiction, non-fiction, a real beautiful mix of old and new. So when did Thank when you. did you move here to Macquarie? Um, Eleven years ago. Actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and we're never moving again. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> moving a bookshop as anyone, or I'm sure a library. I'm sure some of your listeners. Oh, moving have had my house. Well, exactly. <laughs> It's the books always take the longest. They do, and you know you've got to keep them in order, and you yeah. know, usually in alphabetical order, and the shelf order, and it's a military operation. And so. people ask, why don't you put them in boxes? Because they're heavy. They're yeah, really heavy. They break to, the boxes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or not put too many in a yeah. box anyway, yeah. which is irresistible. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did the Asia Book Room Book Club come about? Yeah, um, we started the book club, and I wish I'd written down the year. You know, the trouble is I don't know exactly when we started. It's about 15 years ago, because I remember we've moved five times over the years, and I remember which shop we were in when we started. So somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago. And that was because I've always wanted to be a member of a book group, but nobody asked me to join theirs. <laughs> well, actually... Well, sometimes you just have to make your own. Well, that's it. Even exactly. if you make seven. <laughs> You've done that. <laughs> One for every genre. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good idea, a very good idea. So, um, yeah, so um, I thought... Let's start one that focuses on books on Asia. And, you know, dealing in books on Asia, I'm always aware of my own horrible lack of knowledge on just about every subject (laughs) to do with Asia that's possible. So if I felt that if I could have an extra eight books a year that I would read on Asia, which is what we read, eight books every year, um, that would be great. And especially because somehow I had fallen out of reading... Um, reading fiction. It was strange. You know how Mm. you can go through different phases in life. And um, I think, you know, I I haven't been to university and I kind of thought, gosh, I better catch up and read all this, you know, Asian history and stuff that I would have read had I, you know, well, I think I would have read, but who knows what I would have read (laughs) had I done Asian studies. And um, so then I kind of fell out of, you know, and you get out of the habit of um, putting your head into the fiction space. And obviously... The best life is to have a balance of both fiction and non-fiction. Absolutely. So um, that made me start reading fiction again because our book group, actually, we do read some non-fiction, but vastly outnumbered by the number of works of fiction that we read. Yeah. And I think sometimes fiction is a little bit... I don't know, you can get a little bit more critical because you can take it a bit personally if you don't like the characters. Exactly. You, you know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a more personal experience sometimes reading fiction. So how many people tend to come along to the book group? It varies, but um, usually we have between 15 and 20 would be our regular sort of thing. Often we find at the beginning of a year, and I completely like so get this, <laughs> at the beginning of the year we might have 30. Wow. And then, uh, and then you know, it's all the people who sort of come in between now maybe in Christmas um, saying oh you know I'm going to read more next year and I so get it you know yeah. all your new year's <laughs> resolutions and then you know as the year progresses well usually the next time there's less people so 30 is huge it's I too just, big actually yeah how would you get a word in edgeways with well 30? especially yeah no especially at a good group it's hard enough anyway without yeah. you know um, <laughs> yeah no I mean it is it's just too many I think and so a lot of people do sit sort of silently often the person leading does say you know what else do you, know, do you want to contribute or whatever? But, of course, you also don't want to put people on the spot so yeah. you really feel they don't have a clue. Because <laughs> you know, they might just want to 
to listen. They might Absolutely. not necessarily want to contribute. That's it, exactly. And, God. you know, it is about people feeling comfortable. That's what makes yeah. a group work. I mean, it's a big space here, but 30, just I feel like it, even in here it would be a little cosy. Yeah, well, you know, it's unfortunately because of the way our bookcases are, we can't get a complete circle. Yeah. So you may see when you were here the other day, it's more like an oval, yeah. which does mean that sometimes you can't always see everybody who, you know, you kind of leaning forward to see who's speaking slightly and by 30 it is too much leaning forward yeah, you almost <laughs> have to go around the corner with 30 exactly <laughs> <laughs> permission to speak <laughs> <laughs> so how do you go about choosing the books do you choose books in the early days of the book group um, I did more so because you know I was sort of desperately trying to breathe life into this group um, but now, no. I mean, like the this year, last year, um, and, and the coming year, I haven't chosen any of them, actually. Oh, last year I did because I presented one of them myself and led one of them. But um, no, no. You know, I usually, around this time of year, October, November, I will send out an email to the book group and say, you know, we're looking for books for next year. And usually during the year, people have made suggestions. And I have to say, I always make them email them to me, whatever they tell me in real life, because <laughs> otherwise I'll probably forget. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll forget who suggested it, which is also not good. Um, and uh, then we put together eight books for the year. And we meet about every six weeks, you know, roughly. Sometimes it's eight weeks, sometimes it's four. But usually about every six weeks, starting in February and ending in December. So. And do you, for each book? group do you have a single facilitator yeah um usually although there's um a couple who do it together who are just so much fun they're great they're that's gonna adorable. that's <laughs> that's in uh, march next year they'll be doing oh brilliant um, and uh, they are always very funny and uh, but and also very serious and you know they're, they're a lovely mixture of things do they disagree so. with each other uh no they've got it kind of worked out um, yeah usually uh, the lady diane speaks about um the book and her partner then has various questions and um, I don't know it's it's quirky and interesting and everybody loves it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's brilliant so for our listeners do you have any advice for starting a book club what are some of the do's and don'ts that you yeah I mean that's difficult I like because I've you know I've got this vast knowledge of book clubs being in one <laughs> so but a successful a, one a successful you know, one's one been going works. for a long time your turnout is maybe too high yeah, exactly. I think a lot of book clubs struggle to get enough people to come along yeah well I can only probably talk about what's worked for us rather than um what hasn't I mean you've got to be lucky with who's in it that's yeah. that's really the basic because at the beginning you know it did sort of struggle I mean people came but we didn't have we probably have maybe five to ten maybe 15 would be amazing and um we didn't have you know we didn't have people who were sort of so engaged with the book necessarily mm. and I think we we're all waiting to hear some pearls of wisdom from someone and that's very difficult if you don't have and I wasn't quite so who's leading it ish and I sort of thought that I needed to lead it more which you know I'm so glad to move that onto the other people <laughs> because they do such a better job you know people really um, you know don't need to know the subject inside out or the author inside out and often don't at all but you know, these days with a little bit of work on the net background on the author um, 
you know, and I think sometimes people can feel a bit fraudulent about doing that because anyone can look these things up. But in reality, most of us aren't going to. Mm. So it's really terrific to come along and have someone tell you, you know, I've watched this uh, interview with him and he said this and, you know, there's this great article about him and, that, and, you know, and he was born here and did this and his influences were that. And, of course, you know, there's nothing original under the sun in this sense. <laughs> but it's great to have it presented in an interesting, enthusiastic way. That's how we start our book um, group sessions. The person leading gives a bit of a, um, a discussion, and often that can take anywhere between 10 minutes and, I mean, some people have nearly spoken the whole time, but usually it's <laughs> 10 minutes to half an hour. And sometimes they have questions worked out which they do or don't use, um, depending on how the discussion goes after that. But I think as far as things that work... I think we're very fortunate that our, our base is um, people who don't know each other, weirdly. They do now because they've been coming to book group long enough. But you know, it started out um, without it being a group of friends. So the desire to chat about what you did last weekend or he said, what, <laughs> is, um, is not there. You know what I mean? You ca people have come for a purpose and the purpose is to discuss the book. And so discussion is always centred around the book, although quite often we will end up discussing ideas from the book rather than um, actual incidents within the book. You know, sort of we might get off on, I don't know, you know, some political thing or uh, something to do with culture or, yeah, you know, just that's a, much broader. Just an example of that, the book group that I went along to, we discussed this book called uh, The English Class and there was a whole big discussion about how Chinese language had been presented in the book and um, the author only used pinyin which is when you just spell out the Chinese word in English and there was a big discussion in the book about whether he should have used the Chinese characters and whether he should have talked about tone and, and you know, I think from other book groups that I've gone along to, I don't think you would have gotten that level of sophistication in discussion necessarily because people were so... They were just picking this book apart in ways that I would never have even conceived of. Yeah, which is which is why I do love our book group because, you know, whatever you think about the book that you've just read in book group, I find I've always got a renewed respect for it. You know, quite often, you know, I notice because I'm in the bookshop so I can recommend or not things. And, you know, usually book group books is two or three a year I'll recommend to other customers. But often, by the, you know, a lot of the others <laughs> I, I won't or I'll recommend them with a warning. You know, this yeah. is fairly depressing but it's blah or, you know what I mean? Um, but I've always, you know, I sometimes think, oh, my God, this book really was, you know, rubbish. Um, but I, at the end of the um, book group I was like, no, I was wrong. You know, it's not rubbish. I didn't like it. But, wow, you know, they really um, examined this or threw light on that or, you know, so it's the renewed respect thing. Well, that's brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Sally. Pleasure. Thank you. That was Sally from Asia Bookroom, and you can find out more about this fantastic bookshop and their book club on their website, which is listed in the show notes below. It was a little bit of a slow reading month for October for me. Um, I was pretty busy, and I only managed to actually get through four books. Uh, the first, a book club book, was the incredible memoir The Hate Race by Maxine Beneba Clark. It was beautifully written and a hard-hitting insight into growing up black in Australia in the 1990s. The next book was Den of Wolves, 
also a book club book, kind of. Um, Juliet Marilia's finale in the Black Thorn and Grimm series, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And then there was The Elegance of the Hedgehog by Muriel Barbary, which was another book club book. And I have to say, this one just drove me mad. It was I was annoyed about this book from start to finish. And then I finished the month off with Popco by Scarlett Thomas, which is a very clever book with a really strong message. And you can read full reviews of each book on the Tinted Edges website. All right, readers, that's it from me. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode in December.